pray together. Lord, I love you. Thank you so much for allowing us to gather in your place this morning to worship you, uh, to revolve our hearts and revolve our minds around you, that you are the centerpiece, that you are the, the very one that we cling to. God, that we may not take our eyes off of Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. God, that we may be zoomed in, focused in on you. Would you use this morning, God? Would you speak to us, God, as we, as we do seek to hear your word, God, as we seek that your word may come forth, God, from, from the scriptures, God, as you would use me, Lord, as your tool to speak through me. And God, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would fall heavy on this place. You would reveal truth in our hearts, God, and, and Lord, that that truth would set us free as your word promises. And so, God, I pray that you would use this time for your glory, God, that I may stand upon the, the authority of your word, but behind the cross, so that you may receive all of the glory. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Go ahead and open up the word to Jonah chapter 4. Jonah chapter 4, we are in the last two weeks of uh, this series in Jonah called Coming Up to Breathe. Uh, this morning's message we are calling A Gift from God. Uh, and <coughs> as you're turning there, uh, I'll let you know that uh, this past week, I think it was this past week, or within the last two weeks, uh, we took Carson to go see that new Disney movie, Monsters University. Uh, and we like taking Carson to go to the movies, and we, we really like taking him to go see children's Disney movies, uh, because we know that no matter what the twist in the plot is, or what, no matter what the, you know, the, the drama, the, whatever dramatic part of the movie is, or, or whatever is going to come up in the movie, we know that the movie's going to end with the good guy winning. I mean, <laughs> this is the way Disney movies play out. And so we have confidence taking Carson to the movies that it's going to be okay, whether they have a scary part or not, that everything's going to turn out okay in the end. It's kind of like uh, Carly and I, uh, I think right before Carson was born, if I remember right. But anyways, uh, we went to go see Toy Story 3. And we went to the movies, and if, if you've seen the movie, good. If you haven't, I'm going to ruin it for you. But uh, anyways, we, 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 went to the, we went in, and it's the very end, and we've all fallen in love over the past four Toy Stories, or three Toy Stories, uh, uh, fallen in love with these characters. And it's the very end, and it looks like these toys are finally going to die, if toys die. I don't know. But anyways, uh, so, so they, they all are in, this, in this, little, uh, this place together where it all looks like it's going to come to an end, and, and they have this kind of band of brothers moment, right? And they all interlock arms, you know, we, we've been through so much together, and so we're going to go out together. And I remember being in that movie theater, watching a children Disney movie, and people audibly gasping. <gasps> I remember reading afterwards, in like the reviews and stuff, that people were crying during that scene. And I remember thinking, when, when all that was happening, and, and I admit, I'll be the first one to admit, that I had no idea how they were going to get out of the situation. But I was 100% positive that they were going to get out of that situation. And it just turned out that the aliens escaped and it was the claw, you know, and, and it picked them up or whatever. And, and guess what? Lo and behold, everybody lived happily ever after. Uh, true to form for a Disney movie. Well, when we look at the book of Jonah, we get this same kind of outline. We get this same sort of, sort of a, a perfect story 
right? We start off with God giving Jonah a command, and God, or excuse me, Jonah disobeys the command. Jonah runs away from God. So we, we start the, we start our movie, so to speak, with with uh, the big the big problem. All right, and so the rest of the movie is going to be resolving this problem. And so Jonah runs away from God, and and we know the story, and God uh, God throws up a storm in the sea and they throw him overboard and and just when all seems lost these men get saved on the boat but all seems lost for Jonah God provides this great turn in the story and and a great fish comes and swallows Jonah and and he is rescued and he repents and the the fish spits him out by the command of God onto dry ground and then he goes forward and he fulfills what God had called him to do to do in the first place go preach his word and the entire city of Nineveh repents All right, what do we have here? Tie a bow on it. Stick a fork in it. We are done. (laughs) This is a good story. We have have, uh, had our mission accomplished. We have have learned a lesson. So why do we need Jonah chapter 4? Jonah chapter 4 seems like the most unnecessary chapter in Scripture. The story's done. We, we got done with chapter 3. What, what, what's the point here? Why add on another chapter? I think as we read the story of Jonah and remember that the main character in this book is God and the main storyline is that salvation comes from the Lord and what we realize when we get to Jonah chapter 4 is that God wasn't done with his work yet. Though he, though he had rescued Nineveh, And though he had spared Jonah and shown Jonah that he could not have saved himself, though he had already done these things, he was not through with Jonah yet. And this should bring comfort to us. God doesn't use us and discard us. Rather, we are confident that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, right? So chapter 4 is the fulfillment of that in in Jonah's life. Chapter 4 is God finishing what he started in Jonah. So let's read the first couple of verses together. Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is, <clears throat> that is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sin and calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. As we enter Jonah chapter 4, what have we just left in Jonah chapter 3? We have just left a giant revival, okay? The whole city, at least 120,000 large, uh, has, has come to know the Lord. They, have, they said that they believed in God and they repented. And if you look in the book of Acts, that is the definition of faith, okay? And so they believed in God and they repented, alright? And so, so this whole city of Nineveh has come to know the Lord. So what should we expect as we open the pages of Jonah chapter 4? We should expect a celebration. We should expect a party, God has just done something absolutely miraculous. He has brought an entire pagan city that dominated the culture. He has brought this entire city, the capital of the Assyrian evil empire, to their knees and to salvation. But instead of rejoicing in the mercy of God, we see Jonah. Jonah says, I am greatly displeased. I am greatly displeased with what you have done God, and I am angry with you. Now, why would Jonah be angry? Why would Jonah be angry? 
We talked about this a couple of times already, but he, and because of his love for his country, because of how much he loved Israel, he had a great hatred for Assyria. Because they were a threat. We've talked about this. They were a threat in so many different ways, but primarily they were a threat to religion. They were a threat to one God worship of Yahweh, okay? And so we have, we have this big threat, and he, he has this lingering bitterness, this ling- lingering blockage in his heart that cannot get him past the fact that even though God had absolute mercy on him, that he did not earn it, he did not deserve it, he did nothing for himself and could not save himself, and God rescued him, he could not share this with others. He could not share this with Nineveh. He couldn't have mercy on his enemies. And it's easy for us to sit 3,000 years later in a pew and judge him for this. We know that Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So what was Jonah thinking? What was Jonah thinking? That, That he would withhold mercy in his own heart, even though he had seen God pour out mercy on these people. I rem- if you remember, uh, we, when we started this, we started by saying that Jonah is kind of like you and me. Jonah is a lot like you and me. And I think in, th- in this situation, we find ourselves to, to be resembling Jonah again. Let me, let me give you an example. If you can draw yourself back roughly 12 years, you can draw yourself back to that 9-11 moment for you. Everybody's got a different story. Everybody's got a different uh, thing they can tell about when 9-11 happened and where you were and how that impacted you and all that kind of stuff. All the lives that were lost and those kind of things. If you could draw yourself back to that moment. And a couple days later, we're talking war here. We're talking, we are, we are sending our boys overseas and we are talking war here. But let's pretend... Twelve years ago, as we are discussing war, as we are about to leave to go fight, that a few missionaries sneak into the Middle East. And as they are in the Middle East and among pagan nations, among people who hate and despise the American way, not to mention Jesus Christ, that they are in there And they speak the words that God gives them to speak and revival breaks out in the Middle East. Millions of people come to know Jesus in the Middle East. All of a sudden, Allah worship is is pushed out from the side. Mecca is is torn apart. And and the groups like the Taliban, they disband. And, And their public leaders like Osama bin Laden get on television and publicly apologize for the crimes that they have committed against the United States of America. Let me ask you this question. If you can take yourself back to that moment 12 years ago, would we at that point have wanted to show them mercy and forgiveness or justice? I know if you're honest with yourself in this moment, as I was honest with myself when I thought about this, I would, I would have said no. That's great, wonderful, good for you. But no, you deserve justice. You deserve justice. You, you did this to us, now you get paid back for what you have done. And the problem with this is, is, A, we have this inward desire for justice, and there's nothing wrong with that, but we must be careful not to allow our perception of justice to conflict with our trust in God. Think about that. We cannot be the arbiter of justice. 
It's not our role. It's not our responsibility. God, that's God's job. God says, leave revenge to me. You, you push it to the side, I'll take care of it. Okay? I, I got this. All right? And so, so we, don't, we don't do this thing where we say our perception is bigger and, and better than yours, God. But that's what Jonah did. In his love for his country, that's exactly what Jonah did. He said, I know what's fair. I know what's right. I've seen these people. I've seen the threat they are. I know what's coming around the corner. I know all these things. I know that they need to be destroyed. God, I know better than you know. My ways are better than your ways. And in doing so, he continued in the sin of idolatry, of patriotism, and he continued in the sin of pride. I think there's more to it, though, then. There's another reason that Jonah was angry. We also see in his obedience to God, he had to suffer greatly. In his obedience to God, he had to suffer greatly. What I mean by that, in his obedience to God, his ministry was going to be discredited. As a prophet, Jonah did what? He spoke the word of God. That's what his job was. He was, he was to go forward and God would give him a message and he was not to say anything other than what God told him to say. And what does scripture teach us about the word of God? That it does not return Void. It does not return void. So when Jonah spoke, things happened, right? And this is, this is the truth. Look it up in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. You can look that up on your own time. But basically all it says is Jonah made a prophecy and God fulfilled it. This was something that was normal for him. God would speak through him. He would say it out loud. And guess what? Things would happen. But what was Jonah's message to Nineveh? We find it in chapter 3. He says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Let me ask you, tucked in that message, there, is there a message of repentance? Do you hear anything about repentance in that message? Does a statement like that seem to give much hope for the city of Nineveh? 40 more days and you will be overturned? No. This is a blatant message of destruction. But God did not send destruction. A lot of people question God at this point. Does God change his mind and all that kind of stuff? I just want to address that quickly because it always comes up. Uh, first off, he wouldn't have sent Jonah if he didn't have an intention to bring mercy. And then secondly, as we'll see in a second, Jonah ran away because he recognized God's intention was to bring mercy. So, so anyways, that, I just wanted to throw that out there real quick. But destruction didn't come. This was Jonah's prophecy. This was Jonah's word that destruction was going to come. But destruction did not come. It's kind of like the modern prophets who always tell us about when the end of the world's coming. Right? <laughs> We always hear, uh, every couple of years, we have the next guy who comes up and says, the end of the world is going to be on this date. And every time one of those dates passes, th this whole group, this whole lot of them, start to lose a little bit more credibility. Imagine, that you remember the year 2000. In the year 2000, everybody was predicting the end of the world. I mean, even average Joe Blows were predicting the end of the world in the year 2000. Now imagine that you're the guy and sitting next to the guy who made the, the prediction that on December December 31st of the year 2000, the world was going to end. And you're sitting next to the guy, and New Year's rolls around, and there's a problem. What do you say to that guy? 
Happy New Year's. You know, that, that, that is just an awkward uh, situation. And, but that's what we see here with Jonah. Is I made a prophecy. It has not been fulfilled. And my reputation is going to take a hit. And he became angry with God. Because he was more concerned with his image than he was with God's will. May God forgive us as we align our lives with Jonah in this struggle. You see me get emotional here, but this has been uh, an issue for me and something God has been hammering on me this week as I've studied this. And I want to let you know that that is... That is kind of how it works for a preacher, and this is completely off topic here, but that's kind of how it works for a preacher. During the study session, during the week as I'm going through all this, that's when God lays the hammer on me. And I pray that He will lay the hammer on you through this. Uh, But may God forgive us as we share this struggle with Jonah. How often, how often, church, have we compromised our convictions in order that we may look better, or in order that it may be easier for us. And when we do, we, like Jonah, continue to sin in the idolatry of individualism. So what we see in Jonah, right here from the very beginning of chapter 4, is that in defense of what he thought was best for his country, and in in defense of what he thought was best for himself, he pours out immense anger on God. We see in verse 1, he says, greatly displeased. That's actually, that's actually written twice. It's not translated twice, but it's written twice in the Hebrew, giving great emphasis to it. This, he, was, he was really mad. He was really upset with what God did. And the word used for anger here literally means to be burning up. So he was raging mad with God. Now let me ask you this question, church. Is that okay? Is it okay to be mad at God? I think if we took a poll this morning, we'd probably kind of be split down the middle. I really do. I, uh, I think that a lot of us would say, yeah, you're allowed to be mad at God. I think other of us would be a little more cautious. I, I, I don't know where you stand, but let me, let me just share something with you. I was talking with a mother one day who had, whose boy had gone to uh, Iraq. And when he was in Iraq, he saw some things that military men see. And he was greatly disturbed by it. Kind of shifted the way that he saw the world. And he started to get mad at God. He started to blame God and and really got frustrated with Him. And so I was talking to his mom and she was sharing this with me. And she said, this is the advice I gave him. It's okay to be angry with God. He's a big boy. He can handle it. And at first... This seems to make a lot of sense. This really does uh, seem to make a lot of sense because there's, a, there's an element of truth behind it. And the truth is that, yeah, no matter what we say or what we feel, it does not affect God. That is, it does not change God or hurt His feelings in any way, shape, or form. But just because God is not affected doesn't make it right. If I make fun of somebody and they completely blow me off, that doesn't make it right for me to continue to make fun of them. That's not the way it works. Our sin is not determined by one's response to it. Our sin, I mean, our standards for living are set by God in His Word. And according to God's Word, anger is sin. Now, everybody throws out the, the wrench. 
Oh, what about righteous anger? Jesus went into the temple and flipped over tables. This, what we are seeing in Jonah is not about righteous anger, okay? This is not about being upset that God's way has been harmed. It's not about that. It's about my way has been harmed. My, My goal, my vision, my desire has been harmed. And so that's the reason I'm angry. Colossians 3.8 says, But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language. So listen, our sin is not determined by one's response to it, but the gravity of our sin is determined by whom we sin against. And anger against an infinitely holy God is an infinitely offensive sin. So the answer is, it is never, never okay to be angry with God. Jerry Bridges puts it like this, Anger is a moral judgment, and in the case of God, it accuses Him of wrongdoing. It accuses God of sinning against us by neglecting us or in some way treating us unfairly. And so we must resist the temptation to become angry at God. And we can do this in three ways real shortly. We have to remember that God is sovereign. God is absolutely sovereign. He is in total and complete control of every situation of all time and all of creation. Secondly, we need to remember that God is wise. That God not only has control over situations, but He knows how to handle it. He knows what He's doing. And the third thing is that God is love. And God loves us. So not only can He do everything, and not only does He know how to do everything, but He does everything for His glory and for, those, and for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. And what's amazing about this, what's amazing about this story, <laughs> is that Jonah recognizes all this is true about God. Even though he's angry and all this, this emotional outburst against God, he still recognizes this truth about God. Look at, look at verse 2. Uh, He says, I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Listen, he he says, listen, God, I knew you were gracious. I knew you were gracious. I knew you give good things to those who don't deserve them. I knew that you uh, you give good things to people who have not earned them. Lord, I, I knew you were compassionate. I knew you were tender-hearted towards the needy, and I knew you spare those who do not deserve to be spared. Listen, God, I knew that you were slow to anger. I knew that you don't rush to judgment, but desire for all men to come to repentance. Lord, I knew that you were abounding in love. I knew despite everything that the Ninevites had done to you, you still cared for them deeply. And when I tied all this together, and I put it in my mind, and I thought about it, obviously, obviously, God, You are a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah, what has Jonah just done? Jonah has laid out the gospel. (laughs) Jonah has recognized the gospel well before the word gospel ever came into existence because the gospel of Jesus Christ has always resided in the heart of God. And Jesus provided us this truth through His Son. I love Tozer. Grace takes its rise far back in the heart of God in the awful and incomprehensible abyss of His holy being. But the channel through which it flows out to men is Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. Listen, the picture is the same for us as it was for Nineveh. We have no merit of our own. Isaiah 53, 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. What value is a sheep that runs away from a shepherd? 
None. We have no merit of our own. And also, like the Ninevites, we are buried under the debt of our own sin. Romans 5.20 says, The law has at, was added that the trespass might in, abound. <coughs> Tozer says, To abound in sin, this is the worst and most we can, could or can do. The word abound defines the limit of our finite abilities, and we feel our iniquities rise over us like a mountain. But that's the only the first half of 5.20. 5.20 part B says, but when sin increased, grace increased all the more. Tozer concludes by saying, The mountain of sin nevertheless has definable boundaries. It is so large, so high, it weighs only this certain amount and no more. But who shall define the limitless grace of God? It's all the more plunges our thoughts into, into infinitude and confounds them there. All thanks be to God for grace abounding. And Jesus did this all. Jesus did this all. We didn't earn it yesterday, and we don't earn it today. This is, this is the remainder of the chapter. This is the remainder of the chapter and the remainder of the struggle for Jonah that we see. This is where Jonah really gets off track. He's experienced God's grace. He has experienced God's compassion. He has experienced God's <coughs> Excuse me. He has experienced God's patience and he has experienced God's love in his own salvation story. But he thinks he still has to earn it. He thinks he still has to earn it. And if you earn something, then you deserve it. If you earn it, then you deserve it. And this is what, this is what God attacks for uh, the remainder of the book. So let's read verses 4 through 11. It says, But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head <coughs> to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh, has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? One of my saving graces in college was in economics. For some reason, economics and I do not click. And so I was in. I had to. I had to take two econ classes, and uh, and both of them were a struggle for me. The second one in particular. And my saving grace in college was that my professor, during the middle of the semester, kind of recognized that a lot of people were struggling. And he said, okay, here's what we're going to do. If you get the Wall Street Journal and you do XXX, you will be able to earn some extra credit. So as I observed my grade plummeting <laughs> uh, towards failure, uh, I decided that I would put some uh, extra work in. And as I put this extra work in... I received the extra credit that allowed me to pass the class. Here's what I want to tell you, church. We do not serve 
an extra credit God. We do not serve an extra credit God. Jonah had obeyed God. Jonah had done what God had asked him to do. And in Jonah's mind, now it was God's turn to reward him. I've done this for you, God. Now it's your turn to do something for me in the way that I want it to be done. Fulfill the prophecy that, I, that you have given me. Destroy this city. Satisfy my desire. Protect your people. God, do what I want you to do. Because I have done what you wanted me to do. Isn't this how we feel? Isn't that our sense of justice coming up again? I've done something and I've earned something for it. We're about to watch a movie clip here in a second. And most of us have seen the movie Field of Dreams. A movie Field of Dreams, Ray Kinsella, he moves to Iowa. He's kind of a farm boy that doesn't want to be a farm boy. And he doesn't want know what he, he can do with his life. He, he's, I, he knows he wants to do something, but he doesn't know what. So one day he's out in the field and he hears voices. The voices say, if you build. And so he, that freaks him out, as it would any of us. And, and, but he figures it out, and he, he builds a baseball diamond in the middle of his cornfield. And, and, and so he puts all this work, all this money, almost bankrupts his family. And then he gets another message. Ease his pain. And so he goes to, find, goes to find this author who has all these anger issues and goes to take care of that. And then finally he gets uh, this last, this last uh, message that says... And he, he figures out what that means, and he goes and he finds this, this doctor who is a ghost and becomes a kid, and he takes him home in a van. It's a very weird thing. And so you get to the end of the story. Everything is kind of playing out now. All things that, that, were, that were confusing are starting to work themselves together uh, now. And then Shoeless Joe Jackson asks a question, and I want you to see his response. Go ahead. Ask ourselves that question. I've put in the time... And I've put in the effort. I read my Bible daily. I pray to God regularly. I visit the sick. I cook meals. I spend half of my week up at the church. I serve God faithfully. What's in it for me? I've earned it. I deserve it. I love how Jerry Bridges, continuing to talk about anger against God, says, Anger is often a response to our thinking. That God owes us a better deal in life than we are getting. Here's the truth. God owes you nothing. God owes you nothing. But God in his love has given you everything. Jonah did not tend the vine. Jonah did not make it grow. It was all a gift from God. Your good deeds don't earn your salvation. And that doesn't, that doesn't strike us as odd. We've heard that our whole lives. We've been raised Southern Baptist. It's not our good deeds that lead us to Jesus Christ. And this is, this is absolutely true. We find this throughout Scripture. Uh, you know, we are saved by grace through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. We know that Scripture. Matthew 7, and 23 says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me you evil doers so we've we've wrapped our minds around this thought that we do not earn our salvation but i want to throw something on top of that you do not earn through your good works god's favor 
You don't earn your salvation, but you do not earn God's special favor. Jerry Bridges again says, I think of a man who, as his mother was dying of cancer, said, after all she's done for God, this is the thanks that she gets. Never mind that Jesus suffered untold agony to pay for her sins so she would not spend eternity in hell. This man thought that God owed her a better life on earth. God owes us nothing. And we need to be careful that we don't teach that he does. I was raised in a youth group where they told us as teenagers, if you will just save yourself from marriage, then God will give you the perfect spouse. Find it for me in Scripture. Because you are obedient, God's going to give you this very specific gift, the one that you desire, and and, and He's going to be a man that, that is six foot two, and He's going to be brawny, and He's going to be all these things that I want Him to be. That's not Scripture. That's man-made fairy tale added on top of Scripture. A godly spouse is a free gift from God. We do this with money. God, I've been giving faithfully to the church for a long time. I've been giving to the needy for a long time. So now, God, you owe me a fortune. You owe me a big house. You owe me no debt. You owe me all of these things. Listen, that's not, that's not Scripture. That is, that is fairy tale added on top of Scripture. Financial blessings are a free gift from God. Obedience to God does not equal extra grace. I think of Paul. If we think of Paul, we think of a man who is obedient to God, right? We think of a man who, who went through shipwrecks and snake bites and whippings and beatings and all this different kind of stuff for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God. We think of this, a man who is ultimately obedient to his calling. But we get to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and there is an issue going on. Now if obedience earns us extra grace with God, then Paul should have been the one to be getting all the extra grace from God. But we get to 2 Corinthians 12, and Paul says, there's a thorn in my side. And what does Jesus say to him? My grace is sufficient for you. I'm enough. I'm enough. All that stuff that you've done, well done, good and faithful servant. But I am enough. All of your blessings. All of them are a gift from God, and we do not earn them. And here is something very important. Therefore, we have no right to be angry with God when He takes them away. We have no right to be angry with God when He takes them away. Because we didn't earn them. We don't deserve them. Go back to Job. Go back to Job. All that Job went through the loss of health, the loss of family, and the loss of wealth. All that he went through. And how does he respond? You know the passage, but I like right before the part that everybody has memorized. It says, He fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. It is all a gift from God. Think to what Jesus taught us in the New Testament. You get to Matthew chapter 20 and you have the parable of the workers in the vineyard. 
And Jesus starts, the, or excuse me, the landowner starts the morning off by saying, okay, I'm going to hire a couple of people and I'm going to pay you a denarius for your work for the whole day. And then a couple hours later, he hires a couple more people. And he says, I'm going to pay you a denarius for your work for the whole day. And then a couple hours later, he does the same thing. A couple hours later, he does the same thing until it's right at the point of sunset and there's hardly any light left to get any work done. And he still hires a couple more people to get the work done. And so everybody, all these workers now gather around the landowner and say, okay, it's time for you to pay. And Jesus pays them all equally. Well, the guy who worked first says, this is unfair. I've been out here all day. These guys just got here 30 minutes ago and they haven't done anything. This is unfair. But I love how the landowner responds. John, I mean, Matthew 20, 13 through 15, he says, but he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Are we still trying to earn more by doing more? Have we not learned our lesson all things belong to God. And he gives as He sees fit. What about you? What about your heart? What about where you are? Have you been looking at your life and saying, man, I've been, I've been doing good. So God must be blessing me because I've, I've been living for Him. Or, or things, are, things are hard. And, and so, so I've got to start doing better so that God will bless me and, and get me out of hardness. God loves you. No matter what you've done, no matter your sin, if you are covered and sealed in Jesus Christ, God loves you. You don't earn your favor with Him. You don't earn that salvation. You praise Him. Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray. God, I love you. And I, I pray that this arrogance that builds up in us, that we have earned your favor, that because we have done good, God, that, that that's the reason that you have blessed us, not just because you're a loving Father who desires to bless His children. Lord, would you help us to see the error in our ways? Would you help us to repent of that attitude, realizing that at, at any moment you could take anything that you want away from us, we are in no way in worse shape than we were before because we still have you. So Father, for those in here who are trying to work their way to a relationship with you, Father, I pray that you would show them the foolishness to that. And God, that you would bring them to salvation through the grace that is offered in Jesus Christ. For those who have, who have accepted that grace, but Lord, have not recognized that they still fall into this trap of works-oriented religion. God, would you show them that your grace is sufficient? 
Let them know that you are all they need. Draw them to a place where you are all they want. I love you, God. Would you use this time for your glory, for your kingdom, for your namesake. In Jesus' name I pray.